Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here today at Solace Church. If you're a guest visiting with us, man, we're so glad that you chose to come today to be a part of uh, today's uh, service. Just so you know, today is a one-off. We're right in between series. Uh, we concluded our series called Forgotten Christianity uh, last week. And so today I just felt like God was asking me to share with you uh, uh, about a, a, just a conversation that I think we need to have together. And so it'll be a one-off message today. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Believable. And this series, we're going to be talking about the proofs for the actual physical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a series that will affirm your faith if you're a Christ follower and if, if for some reason you're on a journey of searching out Jesus and you're wondering if this whole Jesus thing is real, this series is going to be critical, I think, for you to be here as well. So we're going to have some fun this morning. I'm going to do some things that I haven't done with you I don't, in a long time, maybe ever. Uh, we're going to have a little fun this morning and we're going to do some, some uh, thought exercises together. So I need crowd participation, but it doesn't mean you have to get up or, or go anywhere. I just need you to be engaged. And then uh, there'll be a couple of times along the way where I'll ask you to raise your hand and you have to, or we can't move forward. So that's just, that's the rules. So just be willing to participate. And if your hand's not raised, I'll be able to know. So I'll come get you. All right. So let's, let's take some time together because it's something I feel like that God's laid on my heart. And I think many of you will be able to connect to this uh, as we go forward. Um, I want to I create a, a dilemma for you. Actually, I didn't come up with it. It's been out there for a while. But I want to create several, actually, several dilemmas for you. Three to be exact. But before I give you these dilemmas to try to re uh, reconcile and wrestle with, I want to I give you some ground rules so that your mind doesn't drift off into the peripherals, peripheral and miss the, uh, the, the core. I'm going to give you some scenarios. There are, you're going to be involved, and there's going to be some other people involved. So here's the rules. Number one, um, you cannot spend all of your time thinking, how did I get myself in this position? Right? You are here. You are in that situation. You've got to make a decision. Secondly, um, you don't know anyone involved in this scenario or in these dilemmas. They are completely unknown to you. They are not close to you. You've never met them before. They are just simply, you just simply encountered them in the dilemma or the scenarios that I present to you. Third, you cannot spend all your time wondering how these people got themselves in this dilemma. All right? So just get out of that realm because I know you're going to want to go there and you're going to try to get yourself to where you don't have to make a decision. And I also recognize that no one likes to be in an either or decision. I get it. But go with me because the conclusion today, I think, will come home personally to you. All right, so I don't know if you've heard of the trolley dilemma before. If you haven't heard of the trolley dilemma, let's start there and then we'll take some steps forward. The trolley dilemma is, is this, that there is a trolley, or let's call it a train, because the train's going to work for, for several different dilemmas. A train is heading down a, a set of tracks. And there is a split or a Y in the tracks ahead, and you just so happen to be at the split right by the lever that switches the tracks from one side to the next. The train, as it's on its course currently, is heading towards a place where there are five people who are trapped on the tracks and they cannot get up. The train is not going to be able to stop in time and these people are going to be hit by the train if, if you do not do something. On the other track, however, there is one individual who is on that track and they are trapped. There's one on one side and five on the other, and you have the lever to be able to pull to be able to determine which direction this train is going to go. 
So in this moment, you have to make a split-second decision. Do you not pull the lever and allow the train to continue on the track and five people will lose their life? Or do you pull the lever and allow the train to go the opposite direction and only one person will lose their life? All right, so I'm gonna ask you for a moment to just consider that and then we're gonna all raise our hands at the appropriate time. Do you pull the lever or not? So there's this, this scenario, this dilemma has been presented all over the world and all over the world, generally speaking, there is a majority opinion here, a wide majority opinion, and then there's a small minority opinion. And let's see if our congregation, our crowd fits that. All right, so if you are here under that scenario and you would say, I would not pull the lever, what will be will be, and so sorry for those five, I'm not pulling the lever. If that's you, raise your hand. You're not the lever, lever puller. You're, so there's a very small minority of you would say, okay, so like six or eight of you in the room would say, I'm not pulling the lever. Okay, so participation here. Yes, I would pull the lever. One is better than five. I'm pulling the lever. Let me see your hands. Okay, congratulations. We fit the rest of the world. That's exactly how the vast majority of people across the planet, and by the way, uh, not, it, people answer this question the same across the planet without any conversation previously about knowing this dilemma. This is just how, how we answer the question. All right, so so far so good. We, we, we fit the rest of society uh, pretty much. All right, so that's, that's dilemma number one. Dilemma number two is the footbridge dilemma. It's a little bit different, but, but, but just again, so our minds rest at ease. Every single one of these dilemmas, they're all identical in terms of the tension point. They're not identical in the, in the exact scenarios, but the tension point is the same. The conflict is the same in each one. All right, so the footbridge dilemma is this, that there is this bridge that, that's, that, that has foot traffic, so it's a, it's a pedestrian bridge, and it sits over a, a, train, a set of train tracks. And there's a train that's heading down these tracks towards the footbridge, and under the footbridge, there are five individual, individuals who have fallen. They're stuck on the train tracks, and they cannot get up. And the train is not gonna be able to stop in time on its own that these five individuals are going to lose their life if the train continues. However, you find yourself on this bridge and next to you is a very large gentleman. And he is so large in stature that he actually has the mass to be able to stop this train heading down the tracks if, if and only if you push him off and allow him to land on the tracks so that he would not, he could stop the train. So in this case, one would lose his life, but five would be saved as well. All right, so let's see if we fit the rest of the population. Split second decision, we don't have time to process it, but based on what you know at this point, let's see. For those of you who would say yes, no, no, no. For those of you who would say no, I would not push the guy off the footbridge, can I see your hand? Okay. All right. For those of you who would say, yeah, I'm pushing the guy. There's, they, 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 sorry, the five are better than the one. You guys are brutal. <laughs> what is wrong with you? No, actually, this is the breakup. You're very, very close to the breakup of, of, of society. Uh, this, this is the same scenario, the, the life of one for the, uh, for the saving of the life of five. And you're responsible for the action that causes one to perish, but five to be saved. It's a dilemma. So we're tracking pretty well. All right, so. Let's take one more. It's called the medical dilemma. In the medical dilemma, there are five individuals who all are in desperate need individually of an organ transplant in order for them to be saved. 
And they're, in, they're each in a hospital room right next to one another. And they all need a transplant in order to be saved. Next to them in the sixth room, there's a man who came in with a broken leg and he's healing from the broken leg. However, his organs could be used to save the five who need organ transplants. And you have the opportunity to end his life and to allow him to donate his organs to, uh, uh, to save those who are in need of a transplant. Okay, so are you willing, would you sacrifice the life of one to be able to save the five who need a transplant? All right, so let's see. Those of you who would say, yes, uh, sorry guy, you came in with a broken leg, but you're bad, wrong hospital, you're gone, I'm saving the five. Let me see your hands, those of you who would do that. I don't need to preach another lesson some other day <laughs> on that very topic. Uh, those of you who say, there's no way the dude came in with a broken leg. I ain't killing him for the good. For the... Yeah, right, exactly. So we fit society perfectly. Congratulations, welcome to humanity. The, basically, this is how it's worked out. Isn't it interesting that every scenario you have to make a decision and the life of one is offered for the sake of the life of five, but in each one of those decisions, it's way more difficult to actually make a decision that would take the life of one, even if it would save five. For the first, it's almost a no-brainer. What do you, I mean, what do you mean? I'm stuck with this situation. I mean, this guy's poor guy, I'm hate it, but these five over here. But as you get more complex, it gets more difficult, right? These dilemmas cause us internal tension. Actually, you may not hear another thing I say. You may be thinking about the dilemmas the rest of the whole service. They mess with our minds and our hearts and our emotions and it pulls on all kinds of things with inside of us as we try to reconcile this. You know, it's, it's hard to be put in this, and all, we hate to be in you know, this dichotomous, you know, right or wrong, either or kind of situation. Most of us try to find a, a wiggle room, a third option. So we create, we say, no, that's a false dichotomy. What if another option exists? We, we try to get ourselves out of this because it's difficult. But, but I'm, let me tell you something about life and you know this already that there are times that we are faced with very difficult and challenging decisions ourselves. They're not that exact. But how many of you know that sometimes we're faced with decisions, and those of you who like to live in a black and white world, this will be uncomfortable. How many of you know that sometimes we, live in, we, we, we are faced with decisions that it is not easy to determine what should be done? Actually, we're faced with decisions sometimes in our life where there's not a single verse of scripture that we can read that says, thou shalt do that or thou shalt not do that. Sometimes we're faced with decisions that, that are difficult to reconcile. There's not an easy solution, an easy answer to what we're going through. Actually, the truth is, is we can go down the list of all kinds of ways to analyze it, but, but, but the bottom line is, is it's a dilemma, and we're in the fog of war, and we're in the fog of uncertainty, and we just don't know how to move forward. Some of you may be there right now. Well, if you're there, I wanna take you to scripture. Because the Bible actually presents for us a, a perfect picture of when a man was faced with a dilemma that seemed impossible to reconcile. But he acted on something that was given to him by God and because of that, he made a great, great decision. So go with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter three. We're gonna study the life of Solomon for just a moment. Who is Solomon? Solomon is the third king of Israel. Saul was the first, David was the second, Solomon was the third king of Israel. Solomon was the last king to reign on the throne of Israel when it was a united nation. 
Uh, now, that has since changed, but during the, especially what we call the Old Testament, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel splits and divides into a northern re, uh, kingdom and a southern kingdom. Solomon is the last one to reign. During the reign of Solomon, there is a great period of peace, and the nation of Israel becomes wealthy. Solomon himself becomes incredibly wealthy as well. But Solomon, early on in his journey, is faced with a dilemma. All right, so 1 Kings chapter 3, we see the presentation of this dilemma. This comes from the New International 84 version, and this is what takes place. In verse 16 of chapter 3, we see that, that two prostitutes came to the king, to Solomon, and stood before the king. And one of them said, my Lord, this woman and I, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. And then the third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby, and we were alone. And there was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. And so she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side. While I, your servant, was asleep, she put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. And then the next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. So the other woman said, no, 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 no. The living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. You see the dilemma. Here's the storyline. They have two polar opposite accounts of what took place. One mother thinks the child is, 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 uh, is hers. The other mother is suggesting the child is hers. It's a very difficult dilemma. Now, notice what happens in the story in verse 23. Then the king says, he's creating the tension. He's describing the tension. This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Now stop for a moment. Here, this king, Solomon, has been presented with information, but it's limited information. Number one, no one was there to see what took place. Number two, the king is only, uh, only, uh, only has access to a limited amount of information of the whole storyline. He's been presented with this. He doesn't know how to reconcile it, at least at this moment, yet. And he's taking this information in. So his perspective is limited. His information is limited. And he has two completely opposing uh, uh, positions from these two different individuals. This is a classic dilemma. Now, there's no verse of scripture that says, this is how you tell whose baby belongs to who. It's not there. Now, in modern medicine, we could solve that pretty easily, but in Solomon's day, there wasn't a verse in scripture that he could go to and say, well, let's see, we're gonna go to Leviticus, and it says right here, this is how you prove the identity of the baby. It doesn't say. So what, is, what does Solomon choose to do? If you know the story, you know what's about to happen. So Solomon, in verse 24, says this, bring me a sword. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Bring me a sword? Yeah, 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 bring me a sword. Why do you need a sword? We're just trying to figure out the two babies, the babies belongs to which mom, right? Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, verse 25. He then gave the order. Cut the child in two. Cut him in half and then give one half to one and one half to another. And then you can both have part. Now, it seems so wrong in a thousand different ways, doesn't it? It seems like a terrible idea to cut the baby in half. This solves nothing. Now you have another dead child and two moms and it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything, right? <laughs> now, this is brilliant. And you know why? Verse 26, because the mom who 
actually is the mother of the son, acts as a mom would actually act. Then the woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son, of course she was, and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby, don't kill him. That's how a mom would react. But the other said, nah, if I can have him, neither can you. Got him in two. What's it to me? And then in verse 27, then the king gave this ruling, give the living baby to the first woman, do not kill him, she is the mother. Of course she is, right? Now stop for a moment. King Solomon made the exact right decision which looked impossible before he made the decision and actually was a, was a, was a wild idea in the first place and didn't make sense until it finally fully worked itself out, right? But we see here that Solomon makes the right decision. The mom with her baby actually goes home with the baby. The other one is proved false in this scenario. Now, all that is the story, and here's the conclusion in verse number 28. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So notice what takes place. Solomon is faced with an impossible situation. He receives wisdom from God and therefore God is honored and he is held in high esteem because he made a wise choice. It's the power of wisdom, my friend. Now, for you to appreciate what's going on in this story, you need to appreciate what happened in the life of Solomon just previous to verse number 16. Can I give you the backstory? Okay, I'm going to. The backstory of this, of this conversation is this, that Solomon, before he actually begins to reign and rule and administer justice, is allowed an opportunity to have a conversation with God, and God asks Solomon a question. Solomon, is there anything I can do for you? Now, Solomon is going to reign on the throne of David. Do you know who David is? He's, pre, he's a pretty big deal. Yeah, he made some huge mistakes. We're not justifying it or excusing it, but David is the one by which God would establish a kingdom forever. It is David's throne that Jesus is ultimately ruling on, although it is Jesus because he's God. I'm not going into that, but David is a pretty big deal. David is gonna hand off the reins to Solomon. Solomon needs to reign well. David is a mighty warrior. Solomon is given an opportunity to ask from God something. You know what he asks for? Here's what he says, God. Would you just help me know what right and wrong is? Would you give me the ability to discern so that I can administer justice appropriately? God himself says of Solomon, you could have asked for anything that you wanted to ask for, but you chose to ask for wisdom. I gladly give it to you. Great decision on your part. And then we see the very next thing that happens is that he begins to act out in that wisdom. Now, why did you hear that story? Here's why, if you're writing anything down, this is what you need to write down. Wisdom is given when we ask for it. And when we ask for it, it changes things in our life. If you look at Solomon's case here, and then you also parallel the book of James, the very first chapter, James himself in the New Testament says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously or liberally to every person. And you should not waver or go back and forth. Trust that when, when you ask for wisdom, God's gonna give you the wisdom you need in any given situation or circumstance. This is brilliant, this is great stuff, why? Because sometimes we are faced with situations where there's not an easy answer. And asking God for wisdom is the critical step in making sure we navigate the road correctly. All right, so, so, so. 
I want to take you back in time in my life. Because this was shown to me early on in my life. I had a grandpa, his name was Grady Lee Kinsey. Grady Lee was called Mac. I don't know why to this day. Grady Lee Kinsey is his name. He was from Stigler, Oklahoma, actually a suburb of Stigler, Stigler called Kanema. And Grady Lee Kinsey, who my oldest son is named after, was my grandpa. And my grandpa was bigger than life. You had a grandpa like that? He's bigger than life. Took me fishing, so patient. He spoke life and he spoke words that just were so, so important. And I listened and we sit on the back of his porch and we talked and he, he shared with me stories. And I remember him sharing with me many different times as I was, as I was down there with him, he would share with me about his life as, a, uh, as an employee at the port or the dock. My grandpa worked uh, several different kinds of jobs, but he worked at the port uh, in a smaller community called Kyoto uh, on the Kerr navigational system. And he worked at the port and uh, he, my grandpa could fix anything. You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys have someone like that. He could fix anything. It didn't matter what it was. If he got his hands on it, he could fix it. And all, all my life growing up, I watched him work on cars and tractors and all kinds of different devices. Well, my grandpa's job at the port was basically to fix whatever was broken. And he became basically a celebrity, a rock star in his own right in that community because anytime there was something almost impossible to fix, they would call Mac Kinsey. Mac, uh, my grandpa Mac went out all, all times of the week, all times of the day. He would go out and he would be available to go uh, uh, work on problems and work on situations. And he would tell me, Matt, a lot of people have looked at these problems that, were, that, that I've dealt with and they could not fix it and they could, not, uh, they could not make it work. And here's what he said to me. He said, Matt, he said, actually, he called me Matty Lupu. <laughs> you cannot call me that. He called me that. Matty, he would call me Matty Lupu. Matt. He would say, I can't tell you the number of times I would stand over that problem, that situation, whatever that was that was broken. And he would look at that and he would say these words, God, here I am again. And I don't know how to fix it. I don't know, I don't know, how to, I don't know what we're missing. I don't know what I'm supposed to see. I don't know how to move forward. He said, here I am again. And I just need you to give me wisdom so that I can fix this. Isn't that good? Gosh, that's good. I listened to those words and I thought, that is amazing. First of all, it was so overwhelming to think that my grandpa didn't know everything in the world. But to hear him say, I don't know it all, so I'm leaning on Jesus, who does, was profound for me. I remember early on in my life, because he shared with me that story, that I began to pray. And I don't know how old I was when I started praying, but somewhere around six or seven years old, when I began to hear my grandpa kind of talk about these things, and on and on through my life, I began to pray this prayer. Because I heard my grandpa say, I need wisdom. And I thought, if he needs wisdom, so do I. So I, I began to pray early on, God, would you give me wisdom? I heard the story of Solomon early on, and I began to say, I need wisdom. I want wisdom. God, I want to operate in your wisdom. Now, I don't know. I'm 39. I don't know if I've ever gained an ounce of wisdom. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But I can tell you, I've recognized this incredible need that I don't know how to resolve everything in my life. Some of you, some of us, we are there right now. There's a husband and wife right now and you're facing a dilemma and you don't know how to move forward. You don't know the answer 
And you have, you have wrestled with it and you have talked about it and you have put up every chart or every Excel spreadsheet or every conversation you can possibly, and you don't know how to move forward. There's an employee, employer here that's trying to figure out how to deal with a staff or an employee and they don't know the answers and they're trying to figure it out and you don't know how the right way to move forward. You don't know how to move forward to make sure that this is something that honors God. There's, there, there is an employee here that's trying to figure out, do I stay here or do I go? Do I try to move up or do I stay put? There are some of you, so maybe there's a, there's a couple here that's tried to have a child and you don't know for sure because it's failed in a couple different times. You don't know for sure if you should try again or how you should move forward. And on and on the scenarios go of what you face and what we face in any given moment of our life. So if that's you, can I just give you a couple of words of wisdom? I think... God brings us to these points so that we can come to the end of ourselves and we can begin to realize that first of all, we don't know it all and that's okay. But in the midst of not knowing it all, we serve a God who does know it all. And one of the things that I found in the midst of all the fog of war and the uncertainty of, of all that we go through in these, in these moments of dilemma, one of the things that becomes clear to me over and over and over again is that my perspective is so limited that sometimes it's impossible to me to make, for me to make a decision based on the information I have. Much like Solomon, there was no way he had enough information to be able to move forward. But God has a different perspective than we have so that we are trapped in the moment, but he is beyond the moment. He doesn't just see our whole life. He sees all of eternity at the same time time and he sees how best to move us forward in any given moment so that not only do we make a right decision there but it ultimately honors the entire purposes and plans he has for our life and so we are so zoomed in that oftentimes we can't see but we serve a God who is not zoomed in he knows the details but he's not bound by the details he understands the situation but he's not confused much like we are and I'm thankful we serve a God and that's why James says if we lack wisdom we should ask the one who isn't short on wisdom the one who is called the word who is Jesus himself <laughs> and so if you're here today and you're faced with uncertainty this is the moment to call out for wisdom. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I try to analyze everything thoroughly. You ever heard of paralysis, paralysis analysis? Analysis paralysis, sorry, thank you. This is the idea that says I have to have every single thing, I can't make a decision, right? I don't know if you're like me, but I, I need to know the ROI, return on that investment. If I make that decision, what's, what's this going to do for me? I, I need to know the risk tolerance, the risk assessment about this. I try to make those decisions. <laughs> I try to do pros and cons lists, and oftentimes I'm like, man, if the pros outweigh the cons, and I'm going to do it. But how many of you know that sometimes God just asks you to do stuff that doesn't make sense on any spreadsheet anywhere? <laughs> like, I can't find a formula for that, but God's asking me to do it, right? And some of you are there. So here's what I thought we would do in conclusion today. I thought that we would put the word into practice in our lives. So here's what I'm gonna invite you to consider doing with me. You're here right now, you're faced with that dilemma, and I think one of the greatest things that we can do is that we can get on our knees before God and we can say just like Matt Kinsey, here I am again, and I don't know. But you do. And so I just humbly ask for wisdom from you. Actually today, we're gonna have something called an altar call. 
And I know in 21st century Christianity, that's not normal. And this may freak some of you out. But I'm gonna invite you to come with me to pray. This week, this week, I've been faced with some incredibly challenging decisions that I did not see coming. And this week, I have been overwhelmed with the amount that, that, that I'm trying to process. And so I'm going to kneel and I'm going to bow and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to come with me. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.